Who, who still has shopping to do? Come on, go over, Alex. Yeah, a little bit. There's a little something for me, maybe. <laughs> yeah, so still a few. Okay, well, that's actually not many hands. Most of you have got it all under control. Nice to see. I'm pretty excited this year. Um, most of our, I think all of our shopping is, is done. And I have managed the impossible. Most years, you know, whatever it is that I'm going to get, get branchy always seems to know. I don't know if it's the gift of discernment or the lack of creativity on my part. It could be a, a mixture of both. But this year, I think I've nailed it. Do, do you know what it is? You do not know what it is, which is awesome. And it's so exciting because it's, it's, it's super, super, super big, a kind of cylindrical, and it kind of stands about that high, and it's just there, and you don't know. It's so exciting. I've done it this year. Well, as you know, um, and, and sometimes we get this wrong as Christians, but as you know, uh, Christmas is about receiving. It is not about giving. And I know that sounds a little bit heretical just on the surface of it, doesn't it? Because don't we go everywhere and try and impart the message that it's not about giving, you know, sorry, it's not about getting, it's about giving. And, and yes, yes, there's an element of truth to that, but we can take that too far. In its essence, Christmas is about receiving. It is about receiving. And we as Christians need to get that right first. Uh, We're able to give and be generous, yes, because first, something very, very precious has been given to us. We're able to love others because first, we have been loved. And and so in a strange sort of a way, um, and it does seem a little counterintuitive, doesn't it? But, But we do need to talk about the essence of Christmas, which is about receiving. Of course, that's God's gift to us, Jesus, receiving that gift. But then it is also about receiving Jesus' gifts to us as well. And what were those gifts? Well, we're going to have a look in uh, Luke chapter 1 this morning at, at Zechariah's song. So if you'd like to turn with me to Luke chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 67 through to Uh, verse 75. Zechariah, of course, was the father of John the Baptist. And uh, um, Luke records four songs in his birth narratives, Mary's song, Zechariah's song, the angel's song, and and eventually um, that of Simeon as well. They all have Latin names. This one is called Benedictus, Zechariah's song. And we're going, I will read it to you. I won't sing it to you. Um, the word mercy is mentioned in Scripture, and that is me having mercy upon you. Luke chapter 1, verse 67, his father Zechariah, now this is after the birth of John the Baptist, he's, he's just been given the name John, which is very countercultural. Um, normally, you, he might be named after his father, but the fact that he has been named John and now can speak once more is a sign to everybody something really significant is taking place here. So his father, Zechariah, after the naming of his son John, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Verse 68, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember 
his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now, he then goes on to speak in particular about the role that his newborn son, John, is going to play in the scheme of things. But these first few verses here do not pertain to John, but, but these are verses about this gift from God, the gift of Jesus. And of course, what is it that, that Jesus is gifting to us as well? Look, firstly, I just want you to, to notice this, and this is perhaps a little bit in keeping with some things that Sky was saying this morning. It's, it's a, wonderful, um, a wonderful little song which starts out by saying, praise be to God, praise be to God. Why? Well, because firstly, he has come. He has come. Now, we all know that that is captured in, in the name Emmanuel, God with us. But God has come to us. He's come to save us. And, and this is just as it was prophesied long ago. Or you might say just as he has promised. God has come to us to save us just as was promised. And I, my encouragement to you this morning too, and, and this is where it's in, in line a little bit with what Sky was saying earlier, is no matter what situation you are facing right now, no matter what circumstances um, are around you, no matter, no matter whether they are, you know, um, glad and, and, and warmly received or, or perhaps fearful and, and, and creating some level of anxiety, God wants you to know this morning that he has come to you that he is here to save you, and it is just as he has promised. He is always good to his promises. You can hold on to that. That is truth. Whatever else is happening in your life, you can hang on firmly to those three things. God has come to you in Jesus Christ. He has come to save you, to rescue you, and this is just as he has promised because he is always good to his word. Somebody here, I believe, needs to really hear that this morning and nail that down. Maybe we all do in a sense. God has come to you. He's here to save you. And it is just as he has promised because he is always true to his word. Do you believe that? Receive that. Receive that. Now, how does that look? And, and what are the gifts that Jesus, Jesus brings to us? Well, that is what, what Zechariah now unpacks. And you could say that in verse 71 and verse 74, we have two parts to this. They're worded just a little bit differently, but the first one is salvation from our enemies. And then the second one is, is under the heading to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. Two parts, to save us from our enemies, to rescue us from our enemies. Now, in a sense, you know, these, these are saying the same sorts of things, but then there are promises under that. What does it mean to be saved from our enemies, to be rescued from our enemies? There are promises Promises there. So the first one, verse 71, salvation from our enemies, from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. What does, what does this mean? Well, um, the first thing that, that Jesus does as a gift is, is and, and I believe that the manger is symbolic, of course, of the gift of God that Jesus comes to us. But in the manger, there are symbols here. The first thing is a reminder that, that Jesus 
has come to save us from our sin. And we, we often have these two symbols, don't we? Um, they'll often be at our communion table as part of the Lord's Supper. And these two symbols represent that very fact that, that Jesus, this, this gift from God, has come to give us the gift of salvation, that he has come to save us from our, our sin. Um, he's come to save us from our enemies. Now, I don't know about you. When you think about your enemies, are you thinking about that neighbour that plays really, really loud music at really inappropriate times of the evening? Is that who you're thinking about, your enemy? Are you thinking about that, that guy on Thursday morning that cut in on you in the traffic and, and you remember, you remember that car? And, or, or, or are you perhaps thinking about that person who stole your parking spot at the shopping centre just the other day? Are, are they your are they your enemies? Um, I had a, a very, very short-lived cricket career, but I did receive um, a, a trophy in the under-13s, and it was... Um, uh, I, I wondered whether it was actually just an encouragement award, really, but it was a fielding award. Um, particu- it wasn't particularly spectacular at, at, at bowling. There's a, there's a knack to that, letting the ball go at just the right time, um, and, um, and, and it's... <laughs> The forward motion is really, really important too. So it's tricky. Count me out of bowling. Uh, the batting wasn't, wasn't particularly, particularly amazing at that either. The, the bat is preferred to the wickets, apparently. And so that kind of left, well, wicket, wicket keeping, um, wearing, wearing gloves like rubbish bin lids. I mean, what are you going to do with that? Or fielding. And it was in fielding um, that they found a very, very special position for me, a way out way, way, way out. In fact, I thought they were pointing to another ground, but it was just out on the boundary line there. And I decided this, this was the area that I was going to excel. I was going to be the fielder. And sure enough, I eventually got a fielding trophy for it. I studied the greats. I noticed on television that many of them went sliding across the boundary line to save the ball. And so I decided that that's what I would do every time whether the ball was coming in my direction or whether it stopped dead in its tracks. I would slide and I would save that ball. And, and for that, I got a fielding trophy. What I probably didn't realise was that the captain and the bowler had a kind of a different sense of what the real danger was. I was out there to stop the ball, to, to stop runs being made. They were actually out there to stop the batsman. It was the bowler's job to stop that batsman. As a fielder, I was just thinking about the ball. I've got to stop the ball. I've got to stop the ball. I've got to stop the runs. The bowler and the captain were working together in order to, to stop the batsman. Sometimes I think when we, we read scriptures such as this, salvation from our enemies, that God has come to save us from our enemies, we can think about a whole lot of peripheral things and we lose sight of the target here. The real enemy, the enemy of our souls, the evil one, Satan, the devil. We have a whole host of names for him. Many of them are very, very appropriate, such as the deceiver. That's really appropriate. The prince of darkness. That's really appropriate. That's our real enemy. And it's an enemy from from whom we need saving. And the first gift that Jesus gives to us here is salvation from our enemies. And the hint that he is talking here about that old problem of sin is that this is a covenant promise 
to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He goes on to to actually make what is implicit here explicit in verse 77 when he talks about the role of John the Baptist in this. How is John the Baptist going to help the Messiah, Christ, the Son of God, how is he going to help him to accomplish his role of saving us from our enemies to fulfill the Holy Covenant? Verse 77, because he will bring a knowledge of salvation. What does that mean? through the forgiveness of their sins. A knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins. This is how we are saved from our enemies, our real enemy, the destroyer of our souls. Through Christ's body, which was broken, through his blood, which was shed, Jesus paves the way for us to be saved. Let me just read for you just two verses which which explain this beautifully. Peter in 1 Peter, just puts it very, very simply. In chapter 1, verse 19, he says that it was not with perishable things, verse 18 actually, perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed, but verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. That is how you have been saved. And then in the next chapter, in in chapter 2, verse 24, he then says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your souls. The first thing, the first gift rather, that Jesus brings to us is salvation from sin. He has saved us from sin. This is his mercy. This is the mercy of his covenant that he has shown, shown to us. So that's the, that's the first gift. I think I'm going to put that back in the, back in the manger for now, and that's going to be nice and, nice and safe there. The second gift, let's read through, through these verses. First gift is we've been saved from our sin. The second gift is, again, here's the same refrain, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies, to save us once more from our enemies. But, but how now? What, what's, what's particular here to note? To enable us to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness, before him all of our days. We have now been, been rescued, saved from our enemies, in order to serve Saved in order to, to serve. Um, and, and, and this, again, I had to find a, find a symbol for this, but, but I kind of thought, hey, it's, it's kind, of, kind of fitting. And now every, every time, you know, you turn on the cricket, you know, throughout the summer, whether you like cricket or not, whether you think it's rigged or not, whether you think there's bribes or not, whether you think, anyway, I'm, 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 I'm uh, getting distracted. Every time you turn it on and you see the cricket, be reminded, be reminded of this. I don't know if you've ever seen a, seen a trophy like this, but, but when a bowler takes a, takes a hat trick or does something particularly significant, they'll often save the ball and, and mount it on a trophy here. Now, this, is, this trophy is, uh, I, I think it probably worked out by now, it's not mine. It's not mine. My, my fielding trophy was just a little one about that, that size. But anyway, it was, it was very significant. But, but this, is, this is actually Dave Prentice's. He was rather, by his, 
Yeah, Dave, yeah. Well, give it, yeah, give me an applause. This is, this is Dave, a bit of a bowler in his, in his time. Um, he, it, 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 <laughs> when there's time, sorry? He's a bit of a bowler when there's time. <laughs> you know, um, he, he actually said he was very, very close to a hat-trick on one occasion. He still remembers the face of the, second, the boy in second slip who dropped the catch. Um, but... Um, <laughs> not your enemy, not your enemy. We've been not only saved from sin, but we've been saved to serve. We've been saved to serve. Um, the trophy isn't ours. The trophy is God's. We are just, as, a, as I can stretch this analogy a little bit more, we are like, like the ball. We're just a ball in the hands of God, serving, serving his purposes. The trophy the trophy belongs to, to him. But we've been, we've been saved to serve. We've been saved from our sin. We have been saved in, in order to serve. We'll come back to that in a little bit. We've been saved in order to, to serve God. That we might serve him, firstly, note this, without fear. That we might serve him without fear. Look at that. Isn't that interesting? Enable us to serve him with no fear. Or what, what, might you, what might you have fear for in serving God? I guess if you were serving God in order to win his favor or his affection, you might have good reason to fear. Why, why would that be? Well, how do you know when you've done enough? If you were serving him in order to win his favor or his affection, have you served him enough? Is when, when, when are you pleased with me, God? When are you happy? When is, when is it okay? Well, that is to serve God in fear. But we have the opportunity, having been saved from our sin, now we have all the favor of God, we have the opportunity to serve him without fear. But sometimes I'm, I sense that it's not just the, the fear of needing to please God that, that might hold us back. There are there are lots of different possible fears. There's the, the fear, yes, of feeling unworthy. There's the, the fear of feeling unable. Do I really have a, a contribution to make to God? There's the, the feeling, perhaps, or the fear of failure. But, but what if I try and it doesn't go well? What if it all falls over? What if people look at me and say, well, that was just terrible, Stuart. Why did you do that? There could be the fear of failure. There could be the fear of, of resentment. I did that one, one time and it didn't go well. People didn't appreciate what I did. And there could be resentment there. There could be the fear of, of the past. There could be the fear of disappointment. There can be so many fears that stop us from, from serving God fruitfully. But God has, has called us to, to serve him without fear. And then he's called us to do it in holiness and righteousness as well. Notice there, that's the motivation. We are to serve him in holiness and righteousness. But how can you do that? Remember the first principle? We have been saved from our sin. We've been saved from all unrighteousness. We've been cleaned and now we're useful to God. And so we are able, actually, to fulfill the second part, saved from sin, saved to serve. We are able to serve him now in holiness and in righteousness as well. 
This is the question of motives. This is the question of, is your service for God pure in motive? Does it come from a holy motive? Does it come from a righteous motive? And because of the first part, saved from our sin, we can answer, yes, that is possible. It is possible to serve God in holiness and in righteousness, thanks to Jesus Christ. There are lots of good works done with the wrong motives. Here is the promise that we can serve God, that we can do good works created in advance for us in, to do. We can do good works with the right motives in holiness and in righteousness as well. And then lastly, we can do this, we can serve him with no fear in holiness and righteousness with the correct motives, and we can do this all our days, all our days. Now, yes, that's got the perseverance sense to it that, that we can serve him until we are no more, absolutely. But there's another sense in which we can listen to the word all of our days. All of them. All of them. This one included. And the next one. And the one after that. All of them. So today is a day in which we have an opportunity to serve our God in holiness and righteousness with the pure right and pure motive all our days are days in which God has created us and destined us to serve him with pure motive. Many years ago, I recall hearing a Wycliffe Bible translator uh, talk about translating a, a verse in, in Job. Um, it, was the, it was the verse in chapter, Job chapter 14, verse 5, a person's days are determined. You have decreed the number of his months and have set limits he cannot exceed. And when they were translating that verse, all the days, all the person's days are determined, his translation help just started laughing hysterically. And the translator was kind of, I didn't see anything funny there. But, but I see a wonderful promise of God's providence and sovereignty. You know, all of our days have been determined, all of our months, and you can't exceed them. And the translator's kind of thinking, all right, this is interesting. But the laughter just got, got louder and louder. And in the end, his translation help just got up and left the room, leaving the translator there baffled. What was so funny about that? And so um, anyway, they were kind of near the end of his session anyway. So we thought, well, I, I don't get it, but it'll be interesting. We'll have to delve into that. Next, next day, comes back. Still just giggling to himself, just giddy with, with you. And, and, and so he asked, we looked at that verse yesterday. All of your days have been determined. All of the months have been planned out. You cannot exceed them. But I don't understand. You, this made you laugh. Why is that? And he, and he said, because it answers the great riddle. He says, tell me more. Well, in our, our particular tribe and belief system, there is, a, there is a great fear about the length of our life. There's great fear about life itself. There's fear of death, which is uncertain. This, this is like a riddle. It's beautiful. It tells us that, that all of our days have been determined. Nobody can, nobody can change that. Nobody can pluck that out of, your, out of your hand. Nobody can take that away from you. All of your days have been determined. It's beautiful. It answers the, the great riddle of life for us is to, is to what, who should we fear who can end our life, who can take our life from us? 
And suddenly the translator was saying, well, yes, I understand that meaning, but, but you, for you, you understand this in a profound way, a profound sense. The absolute sovereignty of God, all of our days have been determined. Not one of them can be cut off is truly meaningful to you. And maybe there's something in that that I can learn as well. And I recall that story being, being told, and I thought it is a wonderful, wonderful promise. In, in those, those days, I was, I was uh, looking at a career in the police force, and I guess I had pondered from time to time what, what that might mean. And that verse ended up just giving me the reassurance every day when I put the uniform on, doesn't matter. I don't know. All I know is this, God has determined the length of my days and nothing is going to change that. That's a wonderful reassurance, isn't it? But, but in, this, in this particular passage, the promise that God has saved you from sin and saved you in order to serve, here's the promise. He has saved you to serve all of the days that have been destined for you. Every single day of your life is not an accident it's not just, you know, the product of good living and, and you know, healthy eating and, and all of those sorts of things, which I commend to you, by the way. But it's not just that. It is the very fact that your God, your heavenly Father, has destined every single day of your life, all of them written down, and the number cannot change. It cannot change. Nothing can change that. No one can snatch that away from you. No one can take it. No one can, can diddle the numbers. No one can mess with that. It is set. And God, God alone knows what the number of those days are. But they are a gift to you, and you can receive every single day as a day that God has destined and purposed for you in order to serve him. So how do we use our days? Well, imagine for a moment... For a brief moment, imagine you suddenly knew the number. Imagine somehow one day you had the number of your days. So you quickly sat down with a calculator, you took your date of birth and you quickly did some calculations and you realized, okay, I've got that much left. What would change? If you knew the number of days as God knows them and you did all of your calculations and you worked out that I have that much time available for life on earth, what would change in your life from day to day? And the answer to that question probably tells you what are the priorities that God has placed on your heart for how to serve him best? I know, it's a hypothetical, sometimes helpful, sometimes not. But you can be assured of this, God knows the number of your days. There are no accidents. Every day is a gift from him, and you have been saved to serve him. And ours is to ponder through the Holy Spirit what are the priorities, what are the ways in which he would like us to steward each day.
Every day is a gift from God. Every day. And you can be assured of this. Going back to our little cricket analogy, I do remember at Greensboro Primary School, we didn't have a grass oval. We just, it was just gravel and it was harsh when we played, played um, our various games uh, in our lunch hour and our morning tea. But from time to time, um, a teacher would take us out there to, you guessed it, to play cricket on the gravel, which in my particular specialty of fielding was going to be problematic. Um, but I recall a horrid time in which the two best cricketers in, the, in the, the level were chosen and brought out to front, and then everybody was lined up, and then the two captains were able to choose one by one who they wanted on their team. Now, I put myself in the shoes of those captains, and I would have done exactly what they did, and that was choose everybody except me. And so I was often in the last two or three kids standing in the line, but I remember this moment um, where they'd sort of chosen what they considered to be all of the good players, and then there was just, you know, it was the usual, there was me, and I, I don't remember who the other guys were, and certainly I hope the entire school doesn't remember who I was. But, but I remember the two or three of us sort of shuffling around, kind of, you know, feeling a little awkward, like... And I remember one, one of the guys, and I don't remember his name, and, you know, um, it's, it's not a problem for me, I've forgiven him, but <laughs> I actually remember humorously this moment. I remember one of the captains, it was his turn, and I remember him saying, oh, you can have the others. And with that, turned his back and walked away, and I was thinking, you can have the others? You can have the others? More like they're a liability than an asset? <laughs> Although that's only because you haven't seen my fielding, you know. <laughs> but you can be assured of this. I don't know if anything like that's ever happened to you. Maybe, maybe you're not in the area of sporting. Maybe it's in, you know, a mathematics competition or something. You got left out. But... But I think we can all identify, can we not, with times where we have felt like we were not of particular use to somebody else. And this is what God would say to us. You have been saved from sin and saved to serve. I've destined all of your days. You are always useful to me. You are always useful to me. And when I get to choose you, I choose you first. I always do. We've been saved from sin. We've been saved in order to serve and to serve every day. Every day has purpose. Every day is a gift from God in which he wants to do something special in and through us. And then we come back to, we come back to this. Why? What's the, what's the bottom line here? Just notice the ball, in one sense, thrown down multiple times towards the batsman, knocking, knocking down those stick things. What are they called again, Dave? Stumps. Thank you. Thank you, team. Knocking down stumps, being caught in the hands of brilliant fieldsmen sliding across the ground. The ball has been hit around the ground in many, many places, but here's one fascinating little, little truth. Down the bottom here, the ball gets no mention. Huh, odd, huh? It's done all the work, gone all around that field, been caught. An entire team have gone out because of that ball. 
and yet the inscription goes to the bowler. And you have been saved from your sin. You have been saved to serve God. And can I say, soli deo gloria. To God be the glory alone. The inscription as, as this, this trophy with your life, precious as it is, presented in heaven, the inscription, the one who will get all of the glory will be your saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory. Saved from sin, saved to serve. They are the gifts from Jesus to you and to I this Christmas. Do you receive them? Are you a happy recipient of God's gift to you, Jesus, and Jesus' gift to you, salvation from sin, saved in order to serve his good purposes for his glory? I pray so. Let's, let's pray together, shall we? Lord Jesus, we do, we do just thank you for the wonder of it all. There in a manger, you came from heaven to earth, so vulnerable. It's so, such a mystery, the plan of the incarnation. Prophets, wise men, they all looked for clues trying to understand the exact circumstances and times in which you would come and bring your salvation, and you did it in such a surprising way. So we should not be perhaps overly surprised at the gifts that you give to us. Yes, saved from our sin through Jesus Christ and saved to serve your purposes. <laughs> it's hard to believe that you would choose us it's hard to believe that we're your plan A, and yet it's true. And we receive this wonderful promise from you this morning. Thank you for the reminder, this wonderful, wonderful gift of salvation. Like Zechariah, it's fitting that we should sing. We just want to say, praise God. Praise God. We receive your promise. We receive the gifts that you give us. We praise you. We stand in awe of you. And we long to give back to you the life that you have now given to us. We love you, Jesus. Amen.